take your Bibles and turn all the way to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. We're still looking at uh, living called out and what that's going to look like for us. Over the next at least three weeks, we're going to, best I can describe it, is skip a rock across the surface of the Old Testament. Uh, and that rock's going to hit about mm, nine or ten times over these next three weeks. We're going to look at God walking with his people. God's walk with his people is the title of this message. We're going to look specifically at the law today. And, and while we're talking about the law, we're, not, we're, we're really talking about those first five books of the Old Testament, the, the Pentateuch, the, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, those first five books. That's what we mean by the law. We're not going to get in depth in the law. Uh, that would be a great sermon series. We'll do that later. But right now, we're just seeing how God walked with, how God walks with his people, or God's walk with his people, through the law. Then we're going to look through the prophets, and we're going to talk about Samuel and Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah. Then we're going to look at the writings, and we're going to talk about Proverbs and Ruth and a couple of other places. So we're skipping that rock across the Old Testament over the next three weeks, and then we'll move into living called out in the New Testament. But we're going to see some pretty specific and, and I think very important things as we move through uh, the Old Testament here over the next three weeks and, and skip this rock. So let me ask you a question. Uh, who has been with you through the years? Now this is kind of a reversal, I guess, of last week's question. You may look at your spouse this morning uh, when I ask this question. But who's been with you through the years? And I'm talking about that person that, that knows every tear you've cried, every joy you've had, every struggle that, that you've experienced in your life. It's that person that you can always talk to. It's that person that no matter the time of day or night, if you need something, you can call or contact that person and they're there for you. Who is that person? Hopefully, hopefully we all have somebody in our lives uh, that is, that, is that, that person. Well, what we're going to see uh, as we look through the Old Testament over this Sunday and the, the two following Sundays is that that was God's promise, his, his covenant to do with his people. He promised his people that he would be that person through every situation, no matter what came up. He set some guidelines. We're going to talk about those this morning. Every covenant Every agreement has some guidelines. We're going to call them curses and blessings. Uh, that's what he calls them in, in Leviticus. But we're going to see that God promised no matter what to be with his people. And what we're going to see is that he kept his promise. And that's what we're looking at as uh, we study God's walk with his people. We're going to begin in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. We're going to jump to another passage in Genesis. Uh, I'll tell you the references when we get there too, but it'll be Genesis 6. Then we'll be in Genesis 12. Then we'll jump to Leviticus 26, then Deut Deuteronomy 28. And, and let me tell you, this is very uncomfortable for me. I'm not the kind of preacher that likes to jump verses like this. I like to hammer in, uh, drill in on a verse and stay there. And so jumping like this is, is a little more difficult for me. Um, I think it's what we need to do this morning and over the next few weeks to get this broad overview of God's walk with his people 
through the Old Testament this morning, specifically in the law. So read with me Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And you're reading this verse going, what? Shouldn't we go back a little bit? Well, no, this is a great place to start because we have some incredible imagery. What we're going to see this morning is that the law, while we have maybe a, a very New Testament view of the law, and that's not always a good thing, our New Testament view, because Paul talks about the law repeatedly, and he talks about it as a good thing, uh, but it's not the thing that either makes or breaks us as Christians. We're going to see that this law is, is a means of relationship. It provides relationship between God and his people. And it begins in this passage right here. This, this uh, shows us, first of all, in Genesis 3.8, an unfettered walk with his people. That's what God had in the garden. We, we know that. We, we get this from the verb that's used here. The verb walking says that uh, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. That particular verb, in its tense in Hebrew, carries a very repetitive image. It had a repetitive aspect just to that verb. So what we get from it immediately is that God regularly did this. This was like their, their evening uh, routine. They, they do the things, they tend the garden, whatever it was Adam and Eve did during the day. And then as the breeze, sun went down and the breeze blew in the garden, God would walk with Adam and Eve, and they would talk about the day or, or whatever they would talk about. This was a regular aspect. This was the, the relationship that God wanted to have with, with humanity, not just Adam and Eve, with all of us. This was the perfect place, the perfect image, the perfect relationship, and then sin came in and fouled up the whole relationship. We see that in the previous verses of chapter 3, one through seven, we, we see the story of how sin came in and messed up this relationship so that it was forever messed up. Now, we know that there was a plan. Genesis 3.15 tells us that God made a plan immediately to fix the relationship. But let's be honest. We don't have the relationship now with God as intimate, as face-to-face -face as Adam and Eve did. Sin has damaged that irreparably until the day we see God face to face when we go home to meet him. Today we see, as Paul said, through a, a glass darkly. We, we see a poor reflection of what it could have been had sin not messed it up. But, but sin did mess it up. Now there is no more unfettered relationship. God's walk with his people is no longer unfettered. There, there, it's no longer just, just intimate and right next to him and see him face to face and have this this walk in the evenings with him, that's where we are. But what we see, and what we're going to see as we work through this, is that this sin did not end the walk. It changed it. It, it, it made it less than it could have been. But it did not end the walk. God will set up a number of uh, ways that this walk can be renewed. This walk can be healed. He'll, he'll set up another, a number of covenants along the way. Uh, he'll, we'll see him set it up with Noah. We'll see him set up a, a covenant with Abraham. Uh, eventually, we'll, 
we'll see him set up a covenant with his, the, the whole people of Israel, the whole group. We'll see him set up a covenant with David. On and on it goes, these covenants. But it's all about, it all goes back to this promise to be the God of his people and to never leave them and to never have the walk fully, completely ended. Disrupted? Yes. Problematic at times on our end? Absolutely. But never does this walk go away, and we're going to see that as we move through. So we, we, we've messed up already, just kicking off the, the, the story. We, we have messed up this unfettered walk. We get to a gentleman by the name of Enoch in Genesis chapter 5, and we see an uninterrupted, uninterrupted walk with Enoch. God had this amazing walk with this guy that we know well nothing about except his age and who one of his kids were one of his offspring were but or was rather for for good grammar people uh, we see that the ability to walk with god hasn't ceased already god has kept his promise we're just a few generations away from adam and eve a few generations from the sin a number of years because they lived so long but just a few generations and god is continuing to keep his promise and and not just keep his promise not only is the ability to walk with god still there that we see with enoch but we also see a consistent walk is possible enoch is a wonderful example i believe for us today to realize that we can have an intimate relationship with god for our entire lives Y'all, it does not have to be a roller coaster, our relationship with God. If your relationship with God is a, is a roller coaster, it's because you're driving, not God. Enoch shows us that this consistent walk is possible. We also see with Enoch that the end of life doesn't end the relationship. As a matter of fact, it's going to make it even better. Paul tells us in the letter to the Thessalonians, don't mourn as those who have no hope. Talking about when people die, when people in the faith, when Christians die. Don't mourn as people that have no hope. He doesn't say don't mourn. But don't mourn as people that have no hope because we have the promise. We know that we will see them someday. But more than that, more than we get to see them again someday, we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So those people that have died in the faith they have immediately gone to see their God, their creator, their maker, their savior. The end of life enhances the relationship. It doesn't end it. So we see with Enoch that we can have a consistent walk, that the sinfulness that comes before us, and even our own sinfulness, Enoch was no perfect person. We don't have that in there, but we see that his walk was consistent. We can have a consistent walk, and then when the end of our life comes, that walk, that relationship is enhanced, not ended. And all of this is God's initiative. God took Enoch when it was time. We can infer from that fairly readily that God also initiated the relationship. Well, he, he initiated the relationship with Adam and Eve by creating them. We're going to see here in a few minutes that he initiated the, the relationship with Noah. He initiates the relationship with Abraham. God does the initiating. This morning, I'm going to ask you, even before I get to the invitation, is God initiating a relationship with you this morning through Jesus Christ? And maybe, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, just think about that for the next few minutes. I'll explain it a little bit more at the end. 
and we can ask that question again. So we have this unfettered walk that gets shattered. We have now, even among sinfulness, we have an, uh, an, a, uh, an uninterrupted walk we see with Enoch. Then turn to Genesis 6-9 if you want to. And we see a creation redeeming walk with Noah. As good as Enoch was, not everybody was good. We follow the line of Seth. Uh, Methuselah was in that line. Enoch was in that line. Noah was in that line. We have a line that God has chosen. But we see that humanity is on a downward spiral of evil and wickedness. And maybe some of these, even some of the ones in this line, weren't where they should be with God either. And we get to Noah. This rapid decline of humanity has occurred, but we see in Genesis 6-9 that Noah walked with God. So do you hear it? You hear God's walk with his people. He walks with Adam and Eve, and they mess it up. And yet God continues to walk with them. God makes a way for him, his, this relationship to continue, not in the same way, but he walks with them. He walks with their, their ancestor, uh, their, their offspring, Enoch. We get to Noah, and God is still walking with his people, even in the midst of wickedness like we cannot understand. I know we think the world is going to hell in a handbasket. We cannot understand today the wickedness that, that they observed in the time of Noah. Because God, as of yet, has not wiped out the entire population of the world. So we can be fairly certain that things are not as bad as they were. And yet, in the midst of that, God continued to walk with his people. Folks, let that be a comfort to you. Regardless of who you are voting for in this election, or not voting for, depending on your, 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 your persuasion this time around, Regardless of who wins, regardless of who our governor is or our mayor or who goes to war, who doesn't, what ideology wins at the ballot box or wins at the borders, regardless of what goes on, God does not leave his people. I heard one amen. We should be a little more excited about that, that God does not leave us. It doesn't matter what goes on around us. And we see that as he redeems creation, he decides to wipe it all out. But in redeeming it, God further develops his covenant with Noah. He's made this covenant, promised to walk with him, and he deepens it a little bit with Noah and tells Noah, look, this is how things are going to be from now on. It's still me walking with you. It is still you being my people. But certain things are going to happen a certain way. You are to take care of creation. You are to uh, handle sinfulness a certain way. But in handling that sinfulness, in, in seeing this sinfulness, in seeing the entire world except for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and however many other maybe children were on there, at least eight people on that boat, except for those eight people, the entire world was evil and destroyed. And yet that sinfulness did not thwart the plan of God to make a called out people. Y'all, we trace our lineage as, as Christians, as God's people, all the way back to Noah. This is all part of his plan. This is God 
working it from the beginning. Then we jump to Genesis 12, and we see a humanity blessing God with Abraham. So, so do you see, I hope you see, the, the, the focus here. Adam and Eve, one little, one little slice, one, two people. And then it, then it broadens just a little bit down, down through the generations, this, this line of Seth. We see Enoch, one person, but, but kind of a, a family now, a, a family tree. All the way down then to Noah, still part of that family tree, this walk. But we've got to wipe out the whole world, so we're kind of starting over. Now we're beginning to broaden it again. God's people does not stay a family here, a couple there, one person, or even a family and three kids. God is doing something amazing, not just for one small group, but for the whole world, for all of humanity. This humanity bless, blessing God uh, walk with Abraham. See, Abraham is God's friend, Isaiah tells us. That is to say, he walked with God. And we, maybe, maybe we should change that phrase, God walked with him. But it, it's reciprocal somewhat, right? The, Abraham chose to follow. Abraham chose to, to believe. He, he, he trusted and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, so we're okay to say that Abraham walked with him. Abraham was no perfect soul either. Abraham had a number of issues he had to overcome, famine and wars and, and his, his nephew Lot kind of rebelling and rejecting the way he was raised. But, but Abraham didn't just have external issues. He had some internal issues as well. Abraham was really prone to some self-serving cowardice. No, she's not my wife. She's my sister. He did that twice to protect himself. God, you've promised this kid, and yeah, you're right. And, but Sarah says, you know, it's probably not going to happen, so we've got Hagar over here, so I'm going to work this out myself. See, Abraham had his issues, yet Abraham walked with God. And then we see Abraham die with a promise. A promise that he would be not just the father of a family. See, that would have been great when his name was Abram, and it was uh father of, of mankind or, or father of men or, or father of a few. That would have been awesome for him, for Abraham, with no children. But God changes his name to father of many nations. Abraham is not just going to be a kid or two. It's not just going to be this line. It will be nations that consider you their father. And in the faith, that's where we stand. Again, we stand in this direct genealogical line of faith all the way back to Abraham. He is our spiritual father as well, so he dies with that promise. He dies with outward signs, circumcision. We're not going to talk about that. But they, that is an outward sign that they, this group, this community, looks like each other. The, 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 the husbands, all the family of Abraham, who are adults primarily at this point, when Abraham agrees with God and follows God, the adult males all get circumcised. Their, their wives are brought in under that covenant by their husband's faithfulness. It, it's a ceremony. There are a number of ceremonies. As we work through the Old Testament, we see various ceremonies and feasts that are a part of this group of people looking different from the rest of the world. There is a prayer relationship with God that other 
excuse me, other nations, other people in the area, they don't have. What is it sounding like? It sounded like a church. It sounded like a group of people called out to be God's special possession. They look different from everybody else. They act different from everybody else. They have a different relationship with God from everybody else. God is walking with his people through these first five books of the Old Testament. And we see that the promise ultimately is humanity blessing. I will send one of your lineage who will bless the entire world. God promised Abraham the Messiah will come through you. We owe the Messiah, his, his human birth, to the lineage of Abraham, to Abraham's faithfulness, even in the midst of all the issues that he had, his own sinfulness, his own self-serving cowardice. God brought the Messiah through him, our Savior. God walking with his people, preserving them, taking care of them, and making sure that what he promised to us would come true. From this humanity blessing walk, we, we are going to skip from Genesis now all the way to Leviticus. You're, you realize that we, uh, we skipped Exodus, Numbers, that's okay. We talked about the, those last week, particularly Exodus. We see all these things go on. They're brought out of Egypt. The promise is made now not just to Abraham. The promise is made to Moses, and then not just to Moses, but to all the people that are brought out. Now we're up to about a million and a half folks that are brought out of Egypt. The promise to, to be their people, to be their God, to stay with them, to walk with his people is not just a family of two, Abraham and Sarah, not just neighbor, a family of three, Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac, not just a, a family of uh, five, Abraham, Isaac, Esau, Jacob, but now of Abraham's descendants, the, the, the line that has followed God, Jacob has 12 kids. And those 12 kids have gone off to Egypt. The, the result of a famine, the result of Joseph's faithfulness, and now they number a million and a half. Various people, as we talked about uh, when we first started this message, various identities, various ethnicities that have all been brought in under the umbrella of God's care, under the, the title of the people of God because of their race, no, because of their status, no, because of the money they have, no, but because of their faithfulness to him. What makes us God, God's people? The fact that we are faithful to what he has said, the fact that we are faithful to him, we respond to his call, his initiative on our lives, and we become his people. So we see him now in Leviticus chapter 26, and you can go back and read this chapter later, actually go back and read all of Leviticus, and you're thinking, ain't gonna happen. No, I'm telling you, read it. Because it is all about relationship. Remember, Leviticus, the law, is about relationship. It's about God saying, look, I need a people that will be separate, will be holy, a kingdom of priests, right? We talked about that a couple of weeks ago in uh, Exodus 19, 5 and 6, where God said, I'm going to bring you out. You will be a, a kingdom of priests, holy and set apart. Why? So that they can be an example to the rest of the world. Do you hear that, church? Do you hear the call? to be different, 
to be a set-apart example to the rest of the world, to be used by God to be a priestly people, Leviticus tells us. God's walk with his priestly people. The Israel of king, uh, uh, is a kingdom. Israel is a kingdom of priests. And within that kingdom of priests, God set apart one tribe, the Levites, the, the, the children, the descendants of Levi, one of the 12 children of Jacob. He sets them apart to lead out in worship, take care of the temple, to, to help the people with the sacrifices and everything that they needed to do in order to be different from the rest of the world, to show them how to do it, to help them walk through it. That's what Leviticus sets up, this priestly people that God is going to use to make a difference in the world. The priestly people that were supposed to make a difference in the world right where they were. See, the Messiah isn't just for the people inside the church. The Messiah was for the people, for, for all people. Remember Abraham? Humanity blessing walked with God or with Abraham. And yet sometimes we get so pleased with our Jesus that we kind of want to keep him to ourselves. Israel got so pleased with their priestliness that they kind of wanted to keep it to themselves and not share it with the nations. And their call was to be a missionary people. Our call is to be a missionary people. And there were benefits. Leviticus sets up, particularly in verse 26, the benefits for faithfulness. All of Leviticus talking about do this, do this, do this. This is the way sacrifices are supposed to work. This is the way you keep yourself set apart and pure, uh, different from the rest of the world. And then there will be, in 26, uh, benefits, uh, blessings, and curses. Benefits were for faithfulness showed up in a lot of different ways, but primarily, and I believe the most important way, the best way was that God said, I will walk, walk among you and be your God. I will walk among you. I began the walk with Adam and Eve. I showed you that you can, be, you can have a consistent walk with Enoch. I showed you that in the midst of the most wicked situation you can possibly imagine, that I will still be with my people and I will call you out and I will do great things among you. And then I showed you that I can take one person and I can bless the entire nation, with, I mean the entire, uh, all of humanity with that one person. Now I'm telling you that if you will walk with me, I will be your God and walk with you. Have I not proven what a blessing that is already, church? So will you now walk with me in the present and plan to walk with me in the future? Do the things that I have called you to do? Work in the ways I have told you to work? We will be blessed, God says in Leviticus, but we are blessed to be a blessing. God tells them, look, I brought you out, I've given you this land, but this land is not for you, this land is for me. This land is for you to use. This promised land is for you to live and be a part of, but it's to, in order to show the world what kind of God I am. This walk with his priestly people. But there are also curses if you're disobedient. And there are a number of curses, and, and he says, you will, you'll move away from me, I'll draw you back. You'll move away from me, I will discipline you and bring you back. You'll move away from me, I'll discipline you harder and bring you back. And you will continue to move away until I send you into exile 
you lose the promised land, you lose your kingdom, but even then, it is not over. I will not leave you, God says. Our stupidity, our sinfulness cannot interrupt the walk with God that he has promised to have with us. That's a blessing. Because a lot of times I don't deserve the walk. Maybe the walk of shame, but not him walking with me. And then we get to Deuteronomy 28, and we see God's walk with his beloved people. See, Leviticus was to the first generation. That was Moses telling the, the first generation to come out of Israel, this is how things are going to, I mean, come out of Egypt, rather. This is how things will be set up. Deuteronomy was written to that second generation, the generation that had not been through Egypt, had not been through uh, the, the, uh, the wilderness for those 40 years as children. Because remember, the ones that went through, went through it as adults, they're all dead. But the children who came along, and then their children now are coming up, coming up and they don't know, they know the stories, but they didn't experience, so they didn't experience it. So Deuteronomy is God telling him, why I've set this up. You hear the laws. And, and yes, the laws are important. But let me emphasize to you, God is saying, my love. The law is about my love for you. That's what Deuteronomy emphasizes. And it calls for love in return. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 8, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. That is what Deuteronomy is about. God's saying, I love you, return that love. Be faithful to me. And we see similar blessings and cur curses as in Leviticus. We see a similar promise to forgive as well. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to mess it up, guys and girls. You're going to foul it up. You're going to sin. I'm going to punish. I'm going to discipline. Remember, Punishment sounds like, well, you just get beat up because you did something wrong. Discipline is, I am teaching you so you can come back to me. So, so you, you do it, I'll discipline you, we come back. You do it again, I'll discipline you, we come back. Yeah, we do the same routine, Deuteronomy promises, until we get to exile, but even then I will not leave you. Why? Well, Leviticus, because I made my covenant. This is what I said I would do. But Deuteronomy, because I love you. I made the covenant because I love you. I set up these rules, I set up this way of doing things because I love you. That is the purpose. Love is God's motivation here. It's a different perspective on the same thing. God has not been devoid of love all up to this point. That's not what he's saying. What he's telling them is, let me emphasize to you how much I love you. Even though you run from me, I will stay with you. It will not interrupt my walk with you. See, the law, the Old Testament, these first five books, rather, not the Old Testament, the Torah, they are fundamental. They are foundational to both the rest of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have to see God walking with his people here before we can understand how God can continue to walk with his people even in exile even under Roman occupation. See how Jesus comes out of this promise. Five things, quickly, 
that we see as we study God's walk through the law. First, God created people to walk with him. That was always his plan. That was always what he wanted, even after sin. God created people to walk with him. Our response, just like we see with Adam and Eve, just like we see with Enoch, our response is to call on him, even when we sin. I don't know about you, but personally, after I sin, after it's one of those things that is just, it, you know, that is just where I struggle, it's hard to go back to God. Maybe you're all good with it and it's no big deal. But for me, it's difficult to go back and confess it again, even though I just had to confess it a couple of days ago. The promise is that if I call on him, the relationship was restored every time. Why would Jesus tell us to forgive 70 times, 7 times? That doesn't mean you get away with it. You know, 490, I'm good. 491, I don't have to do it anymore. That's not what he's saying. It's just a big number. Why would God tell us to do something he was not willing to do himself? Well, he wouldn't. Because God is actually more gracious and more forgiving than we would ever be. He still welcomes us back. Forgiveness is always available. We see it over and over and over and over in both the Old and New Testament. God created people to walk with him. Secondly, God's covenant always provides redemption. There is always a redemption aspect of the covenant. There is a promise there. This will happen, but I will forgive. And when this happens, I will forgive. Redemption is always provided. Now, faith is required on our part. We have to be willing to trust that, yes, God, you will forgive me. So I bring this to you. I come to you, and you forgive me. Service, obedience is required as a response as well. Now, we don't do to be saved. But our obedience, our service, is a response to our salvation. God, really? You are willing to redeem me? You were really willing to forgive me? Then what can I do for you? There is nothing so great that God would call you to that would ever be harder than it was for him to forgive you for your sin. And I don't mean it's hard like God struggled with it. I don't mean that. But your service will never be as great as his forgiveness. But yet we respond with service and obedience to his forgiveness. Number three, our covenant with God is our example to the world. Remember, that was the missionary world, the missionary society that God had set up with Israel. That was the purpose of the covenant, to be an example to the world. Our covenant with Jesus right now is that we will go into the nations. We will, uh, Matthew 28, baptize, make disciples. That, that's the deal, right? You, you're my people. All, all authority has been given to me, he says. Therefore, go. If I have the authority, go. If I have the authority, do what I tell you. Be an example to the world. Leviticus, Deuteronomy, how to treat one another and strangers. That, that's, that's the covenant. This is what you do. Uh, the covenant is, uh, shows our hope, how we have a hope that other people just don't have. Y'all, we need to share that. 
covenant of loving God and walking with Him is the reward. That is the reward. You know, you realize if you never get another thing in this life, the fact that God saved you is enough. If He wiped you out right now, every blessing that you thought you were going to get, you don't. If He saved you, that's enough. Because you got more than you deserved right there. Number four, we see throughout the Old Testament, God's people are always a minority. We serve in the face of opposition, and we will. We will, we will, we will. No matter who's elected, let me cover that again. No matter who attacks our shores, no matter who comes across our borders, no matter what happens tomorrow, we will always be a minority, but that does not matter. God is faithful no matter the size of the remnant, and that's the word the Bible uses. The remnant, the people who are left. God's faithful no matter what. And lastly, God's people now meet with him as individuals and as a body. We see that beginning with Abraham and really even further back, but, but especially from Exodus 19. God's called out people begins to look like a group now. Not just a family, but we meet with him as as individuals in a community. It has expanded. We don't look like Abraham. That's okay. We are different, but we are just as called out. In the Old Testament, festivals and celebrations mark this called outness, but now we are a community centered around Jesus. We are a family with Jesus as our, our actually as our like adopted brother with God as our Father. And we should be showing that community, that, that family aspect as we walk with God and as God walks with us. We should be different. So let me ask you, and I asked you to think about it earlier. Has God taken the initiative with you? Well, this morning I want to ask you, is, is Jesus the center of, of your family, of your life? Is, is, are you a part of God's people? I didn't say, are you a member of a church? I didn't, I didn't ask you if, uh, if you, you know, do good things. I said, are you a part of the family? You, you are God's creation, there's no doubt. You exist, therefore you're a part of God's creation. But you're not a part of the family until you're adopted. The Bible makes clear that, that we are adopted when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So we, we need to come to some sort of understanding before we get there. Romans 8, 20, uh, 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You understand that you're an enemy of God in sin. Prior to, to salvation, through relationship or the relationship with Jesus Christ, you, you are an enemy of God because of your sinfulness. Well, that's all of us. All of us at some point were, were on the other side. And the wages of those sin is death. That, that's the way a war works, right? If you're a traitor to the other side, if you're battling an enemy of the other side, the, the, the wages of, of being on the other side is death. That's, that's the war. We're, we're in a cosmic war. Spiritual war. And we are God's enemies prior to salvation. And the wages of that 
the wages of our choice to sin. See, here's the deal. You, you've chosen your side. But I haven't chosen. Well, then you've chosen your side. Is death. But, but the gift, y'all, the, the, the treaty, the, the covenant that is offered to God's enemies is Jesus Christ. Here, here's the, 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 the get-out-of-jail-free card. Right here's here's the uh, the commutation of your sentence. Here is my son. I put him in your place. I crucify him on the cross. He dies for your sins instead of you dying for your sins. And God proved that. In case you wonder, well, it's just too good to be true. That Jesus doesn't have to die today for you. He died for you two thousand years ago. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to make us not enemies, to make us no longer not my people, we talked about a week or so ago, but now my people, God's people. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners, and it is for every one of you. Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, without exception. Y'all, it does not matter what you've done. It does not matter how bad you think you are, it does not matter how evil you think you are, it does not, your sins do not matter as far as their, their ranking, as far as your ranking on, well, this was really bad and this one wasn't, it doesn't matter, they all send you to hell. God will forgive you through Jesus Christ if you turn and trust and place your faith in him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What does that look like, Michael? It is actually pretty simple. Admit you're a sinner, turn, repent from those sins, and then Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, it is, it's quite simple to experience salvation. Do you need to experience that salvation today? Pray with me. Father, I thank you that you have worked in generations of lives to be our Savior. You have weathered our hatred, our, uh, our scandalous activities, our uh, disregarding of you, our uh, embarrassment of you, all to continue to walk with us to make a people that is living called out, to show us that you truly love us. And ultimately, you showed us that when you gave your son to die for us on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for your gift. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's someone here who doesn't know you as Savior, that they would today trust you, that they would believe, that they would turn from their sin and turn to you, call out on the name of the Lord this morning to be saved. Lord, let the others of us who have trusted you for months, weeks, or years Lord, live in such a way that we are living called out, that our walk with you is obvious to the rest of the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So as we sing this morning, how should you respond? Maybe you need to accept Christ. You want to come and talk to me about that? I'll be down front. I'd love to talk to you. Maybe you need to follow in obedience. You need to be baptized, and you want to come and share that this morning. That would be great as well. Maybe there's some things in life you've got to get straight. You, you haven't walked with God the way he wants you to. Altar's right here. 
nice and padded for your knees, come and give it to him. Maybe you need to join our church. Maybe you have some other decisions you want to talk about. The altar is open for you to pray. God's word has been preached. He has spoken to you. Now it's your time to respond. You do business with God this morning as we sing.